Okay. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, the prophet says, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us about his ways, so that we may walk in his paths, for instruction will go out of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This is God's Word. Um, so we're in week two of um, the Messiah in Isaiah, and we're just, it's a simple series. We're just working through different oracles in Isaiah to help us understand what Mary and Joseph uh, expected the Messiah to do, and by default, what we should expect the Messiah to do. Okay, we want the same expectation as Mary, and we want to respond to it in the same way as Mary, right? Be it unto me according to your word, Lord, that, you know, whatever you say, um, will, will do. Okay. So I just want us to have right expectations about Israel's king. And so last week we looked at a couple different passages. Isaiah four, um, the Messiah is supposed to be a, a son and he's a divine and human son. He branches out from the Lord, divine. And he also comes from Canaan down the road. Right. Just a, um, a, a man. So this same son, Isaiah four, will wash away and cleanse Israel's guilt, will fill the city with glory and he will stand as their protector. Isaiah seven said that the, the son would be virgin born, would be called uh, Emmanuel, God with us, because his birth, the birth of the son would uh, be a sign to Judah that God had not abandoned the covenant. And immediately this prophecy is about Hezekiah. OK, and we like Hezekiah. Hezekiah is great, but underwhelming and and so isaiah kept prophesying isaiah chapter 9 and the son's expectations what he's going to do uh it's increased and turned up so isaiah 9 said he will exalt the nation that's been humbled due to their sin he's going to bring them honor after their shame he's going to bring them light after um darkness he's going to bring peace to them and his reign will will, will be peace because they're going to start burning the stuff they use for war. We don't need it anymore, so let's have a, a campfire. And then Isaiah 9, 6, that we read at, at Christmas all the time, a child will be born for Israel. A son will be given to Israel, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. His dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never, ever, ever end I added the evers, but you get it, will never, ever, ever end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And then Isaiah says that the zeal of the Lord of armies will do this. So no one else is responsible for making this happen. God has God's strong enough to do the bit, okay, to make all of these things happen. So Isaiah 9, he's got real high expectations for the Messiah, and then the last sun passage from last week, Isaiah 11. In Isaiah 11, um, Robert, I'm just recapping for you. you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, Isaiah 11, on the Lord's day that the seed of the, the serpent is cut off. I love Christmas because we do that. There is a manger song. And we say there's a dragon filled with rage, and then we cut off his head. It's fun. Uh, the branch of the Lord, the shoot of Jesse grows. The spirit will rest on him. The, he'll govern the nations with justice. He'll kill the wicked. Peace will reign on Mount Zion. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The nations will look to him for guidance. Jerusalem will be beautified and glorified. And the exiles of Israel, those that have been scattered by the Lord, Isaiah 11 says he will gather them. And then everything sad comes untrue, Sam Weiss tells us. Everything sad comes untrue. So the Messiah in Isaiah is a son. So what should you expect the Messiah to be? 
a son. Yeah, Isaiah's correct. He's right. All right. So before we jump into the rest of, of uh, the, the text today, I want to say something I should have said last week and just define what Messiah is, okay? Messiah is not um, a generic term for king, and it's not a generic term for savior or whatever. Messiah is tied to a particular people, okay? Like Caesar is applied to the kingship of Rome, right? You don't say Caesar and think... Um, the Philippines, right? When you say Caesar, that's Rome. Pharaoh is tied to the kingship of Egypt, you know, not uh, Canada, right? So is Messiah is tied to a particular people. It's Messiah is the kingship of Israel. There's no Messiah outside of Israel. So the term, when you read Messiah in the, in the Old Testament or Christ in the New Testament, it just means Israel's anointed king. So, for example, for Samuel 2... Um, the Lord has answered Hannah's prayer for a, a son, and she launches into this song about the day of the Lord that Mary rips off um, later, right? Mary gets the credit for the Magnificat, but Hannah um, said it first. And so she gets her son, and she says, Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them, and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give power to his king and lift up the horn of his Anointed king, anointed, anointed king. Okay, so when you, Israel's king is God's anointed, is the Messiah, is the Christ. All right? Different words, different phrases, but they all just mean the anointed king of Israel. So when you're reading your Bible uh, in the uh, Old Testament or the New Testament and you see Messiah or you see Christ, just think in your head, Israel's anointed king. This is who um, this is talking about. Okay, so. What's Israel looking for in a king? What are they looking for in their Messiah? Well, two texts today, Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 30, we'll see that the Messiah is to be a teacher and he is to be a, a healer. So Isaiah 30, verse 18, therefore, and he's just described Assyria uh, overrunning Judah and Judah trying to fix everything themselves, which is a theme for Israel and is a theme um, for us, the Lord said he would fix it and they try to fix it themselves as we do. Therefore, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy and he's rising up to show you compassion for the Lord's a just God. All who wait for him patiently, Isaiah says, all who wait for him are happy. So he's, he's uh, prophesying to the people, says you guys have endured judgments. You are enduring judgments. You will endure judgments. But the Lord's ready to show you mercy. Okay, he's ready to bring about restoration for those who wait. And so here's what's in store for those who wait. Verse 19, for people will live on Zion in Jerusalem. So what is the vision about? Probably the people on Zion in Jerusalem would be my guess. Okay, I went to seminary to learn that. Okay, actually my seminary told me that's not what that means. But I think that's what it means. So people will live on Zion. You will never weep again. He will show favor to you at the sound of your outcry. As soon as he hears you cry, he will answer you. Right. And I get this at 430 in the morning now. Right. The cry, the answer. The Lord will give you meager bread and water during oppression. But your teacher will not hide any longer. And your eyes, people on Zion in Jerusalem, your eyes will see your teacher and wherever you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear this command behind you from the teacher. This is the way. Walk in it. Right? On the mountain, 
teaching them. So Isaiah foresees after a time of tribulation, after a time of distress, a future where Jerusalem is populated, not decimated, where people are rejoicing and not crying, where there's not hunger and thirst, but there's satisfaction. And there's a teacher on the mountain they can see with their eyes. This is very cool. Especially if you're in their um, scenario. These are the expectation of the Messiah, of Israel's anointed king. And these expectations are found in Deuteronomy 17, which we're going to read in a second. But like we talked about last week, Isaiah's taking Deuteronomy 17, which is about the king of Israel. And he's projecting them into the future, right? He's saying, not really happening right now. So we're going to press it um, into the future, okay? The Messiah, the king of Israel, he's to be a teacher, and so Moses has, has already laid this out for us, Deuteronomy 17. He says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, take possession of it, and you live in it, you are to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses, okay? Or the king that God anoints. God's anointed king is Messiah, okay? Verse 18, when he is seated on his royal throne, and just this is pre-Davidic covenant, Right? Second Samuel hasn't happened yet. The promise hasn't come to David. But Moses is saying, yeah, there's going to be a royal throne that this king is going to sit on. He is to write a copy of this instruction for himself on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. Okay, so God's anointed king takes the throne and then he takes the law from Sinai and he writes it down. Okay, I'm just explaining to you what I just read. All right. He writes it down, and it is, verse 19, to remain with him, and he's to read from it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to observe all the words of this instruction, and to do these statutes, okay? So verse 20, then, because of his love for the law, like he's writing over it, meditating on it, pouring over it, aiming to do it, then because of his love for God's instruction, his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. The king's heart will not be lifted up and will not be proud and will not be arrogant and will not view the people under him as 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 less than. Okay, so this is Israel's king. So let's look into the future. Jesus washes feet, right? Goes goes low, washes their dirty feet, says that what I have done for you, you must also do for others. Philippians two, Paul's going to write about this event that in humility, the Messiah counted others as more important than himself. Like this is who Deuteronomy 17 is describing. And then you push this even further into Isaiah 25, into the the messianic um, banquet where the king is on the mountain and we're eating. And you know who's doing the serving there? You know who's got a towel around his waist in the age to come at the banquet? The king, man. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, like, just, you stay on the path, you finish the race, you inherit eternal life, great big banquet, we're stuffing our faces, well-aged wine, fatty meats, and Jesus comes and says, can I get you some more, like, that will mess you up. His heart is, will not be exalted above his countrymen, and he will not turn from this command to the right or the left, right, Isaiah 30. The teacher 
the people listening to the teaching Messiah, this is the way, walk in it, and they will not turn to the right or the left, and he and his sons will continue reigning many years in Israel. Okay, so this is the ideal Messiah teacher that Moses lays out in, in the Torah, right? Early, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, you know what I mean? Like, this is, this is the guy, and the point is, is that he's a Bible guy. Right? The Messiah is a Bible guy. He reads and he loves God's law. And because of that, he leads the people well. All right? So this is Israel's hope. A king who delights in God's law, who meditates on God's law. All of the the failures of Israel's kings after Deuteronomy, after David and and Solomon and, and, and the whole mess that comes after that... All of their problems stem from this very thing is that they do not love God's law. They do not observe um, God's law. At one point, they just lose it. Right. And then they find it again. Like it's just lost. We just they, we lost the Torah. We, uh, it's gone. And then they find it and they freak out because like, hey, we're not doing any of this. And then they turn back to, to um, the Lord. But the problems come from not loving um, God's law quickly while babies are up. Uh, are any of them going to be in the manger during the... Oh, right! We got a live one. Awesome! <laughs> we had lots of options for baby Jesus this morning, so I'm glad. I'm glad we have a real one. So the, 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 the kings that lead Israel astray, they're not doing Deuteronomy 17. Okay? They're not loving um, God's law. They become a law unto themselves, just like us, just, you know, just like we do, and it leads to death. Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. So we, this is this is what's happening. So then David, right? David becomes uh, the king um, later. He knows Deuteronomy seventeen, right? He knows once he's anointed as king. I think David is like, okay, how do I do this? Deuteronomy seventeen. Um, and so he he aims to be this. He aims to be a, a law loving king once he's anointed. He's zealous for God's law. Um, he leads the people in it. But David also understands. I think like, yeah, I think David just has a healthy understanding of, of what a bad person he is. Like he's aiming to love God. But I don't think David, especially after Nathan um, confronts him. I don't think David is like under any assumptions that I'm awesome and I'm I'm the guy. I think David understands. Look, I'm I'm just a steward. I'm the next in line, pointing forward to that king that we are waiting for. And we get this in the Psalms. Okay, so David's become king. He's trying to do Deuteronomy 17. Recognizes I'm not exactly this guy, and so he pushes. This messianic expectation of a teacher, uh, a law-loving king, into the future through the Psalms, okay? So Psalm 1 and 2, those are the first Psalms in the Psalter, 1 and 2. They set the trajectory for the rest of, of the Psalter. And Psalm 1 and 2 begin with this description of Israel's idea, ideal Messiah, who is a teacher, who is a Bible guy, who loves God's law. So listen to how David describes the king. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel, in the teaching, in the law of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, on his instruction, on his Torah. He meditates day and night. That is just Deuteronomy 17, right? It's prettier. David's prettier than Moses, right? That's why we read the Psalms and not Leviticus, right? 
It's prettier, but it's just Deuteronomy 17. He's going to love the law, meditate on it, think on it, aim to give himself to it, and aim to lead the people um, in it. And so the, the fruit of the king's love and delight in God's command, it flows out into blessing for the people, right? The obedience and law-loving of the king blesses um, the people. Verse 3, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit. In its season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does. He prospers, right? So that's Psalm one, which rolls right into Psalm two, which is the famous prophecy about the Lord's anointed who will sit on Mount Zion and shatter kings on the day of his wrath. Right? Psalm two is about the king. Psalm one is about the king. All right. So with Deuteronomy 17 in mind and, and Psalm one and two in mind, let's go back to Isaiah 30 and see if this teacher on the mountain Matches the, the fruit of the teacher that their eyes can see is prosperity. Just like Moses said it would be in, in Deuteronomy, right? I didn't read the rest of it, but the rest of Deuteronomy is like when you have this king, uh, your cattle are just, there's so many of them. The fruit, there's so much, I mean, pro- prospering uh, wheat, cattle, all the rest. And just like David said it would be in Psalm 1, everything he does Prosper. So Isaiah 30, verse 22, then after the teachers visible on the mountain saying, hey, guys, this is the way walk in it. And they're listening to him. Then you will defile your silver plated idols and your gold plated images. You will throw them away. You get rid of your idols like menstrual cloths and call them filth. Israel's previous story is like, we like idols. Idols are good. Let's do more idol stuff. When the king's on the mountain teaching them in the way of God, they're like, no. No more, all right? Now that Israel's listening to their teacher king, they won't do the things anymore that got them into the mess. They're not going to chase after idols and listen to them. They're going to hear and obey the word of the Lord from the teacher on the mountain. And then what happens when they obey the law and the instruction of the teacher? Then there's prosperity and there's blessing and there's life, okay? Verse 23, then... He will send rain for your seed that you have sown in the ground and food. The produce of the ground will be rich and plentiful. Deuteronomy 17, Psalm chapter 1. On that day, your cattle will graze in open pastures. The oxen and donkeys that work the ground will eat salted fodder scattered with winnowing shovel and fork. Verse 25, streams flowing with water. Psalm 1. Like a tree planted by streams of living water that yields its fruit in season. Streams of flowing water will be on every high mountain and on every raised hill. So, Israel's expectation is that after their devastation and after their exile will come their restoration. Okay? Like this is what the prophets are saying over and over and over and over and over. Tribulation, distress, exile, but... Restoration, uh, the making of all things new and instrumental to their restoration is Israel's Messiah, this king of the mountain, the one who delights in God's instruction, teaching the people, saying this is the way walk in it. All right. But it's not just the remnant of Israel that will be taught. Okay. But through Zion's restoration and and the teacher king uh, being enthroned, all the nations will learn as well, leading to um, global peace. Okay, so rejoice, you Gentiles. This is where history is going. Isaiah two, he says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations 
all Gentiles, all people will stream to the house of Israel's God. And many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And what? He will teach us. Because there's a teacher on the mountain that we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears who's saying this is the way walk in it. He will teach us about his ways that we may walk in his path for instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, from the teacher who is there that we can see with our eyes. Verse four, he will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitrations for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. A nation will not take up sword against nation and they will never again train for war. That's awesome. Isaiah's vision of the Messiah is that he is a teacher. Okay, this is what the prophets said he would do. This is what Mary and Joseph expected him to do. And this is what Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. So John and Jesus, are, if you don't know, they're, they're, they're cousins. They're born around the same time. So angels are appearing to Mary and Joseph. Angels are appearing to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Right? Christmas is just like all, all angels all the time. Um, the angel shows up, Zechariah, you know, lips off a little bit. So the angel shuts his mouth and makes him mute for nine months. And Elizabeth was like, awesome. (laughs) Um, but when his muteness is removed, all right, he starts to speak and he, he starts to, to, um, to prophesy. And so listen to Zechariah's uh, announcement about the birth of, of John And it's just a swirl of Deuteronomy 17 and Psalm 1 and 2 and Isaiah 30. Like they all come together here with Zechariah. So he says his, his, you know, first time to speak in nine months. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Isaiah 2, the house that will be raised up above all the nations. Just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old that... Isaiah, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. Isaiah 30, you will never weep again. He will hear your outcry and he will come and save you. Verse 72, to show mercy promised to our fathers, to the patriarchs, and to remember his holy covenant. Isaiah 30, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy to come and save. Verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. What oath did God swear to Abraham? All the nations will be blessed. Isaiah 2, right? No more nations warring against each other. Spears turned into pruning hooks. You know what I mean? Rocket launchers turned into plows. The oath he swore to Abraham is that the nations would be blessed. That the cycle of sin and death. And sin and death and sin and death would cease through the family of Abraham. And so the word of the Lord going out from Jerusalem, from the house of Abraham's family to grant to us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Serve there is the same word that the Levitical priests used for for worship, right? That we might worship him without our enemies doing the things and without our own sinful hearts messing up um, The worship of the people in holiness and righteousness before him all our days because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high for 79 to give light to those who sit in darkness. Isaiah 9, right? 
in the shadow of death. Mary's song. Oh, the mercy our God has shown to those who sit in death's shadow. Luke 2. To give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the way of peace. Like the teacher saying, this is the way, walk in it. Zechariah is well versed in his Bible. Right? That's why he's saying the things that he's saying. Like his whole deal is Isaiah 2, Isaiah 30, Psalm 1 and 2, Deuteronomy 17. Their king's a teacher. He's going to guide and lead the people. So the word of the Lord here, bringing light and peace to the nations from that law-loving king on that holy hill. That's who the Messiah is. And this is what you should expect him to be and do. And clearly, Jesus embodies these things, right? Like Jesus shows up and it's almost like he takes his mandate as Israel's Messiah from Deuteronomy 17. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And he takes his mandate from Psalm 1. I'm going to be that blessed man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, but meditates on the law of God day and night. And therefore, I'm going to be like a stream planted, or a tree planted by streams of living water. And everything I put my hand to will prosper and people will be blessed for me. So Jesus shows up and he has zeal for Jerusalem, right? Jesus weeps twice. Right, he, the, the, the God cries twice in the gospel. Once when Lazarus dies, and then what else does Jesus weep over? Jerusalem, right? Zion, that place, that holy hill. He has zeal for the temple, right? They're screwing up the temple. He comes in and says, Nuh-uh, my, house, my father's house is going to be a house of prayer for all nations, which is from Isaiah. He's zealous for the Jerusalem. He's zealous for the temple. And Jesus is zealous for God's law. Where is Jesus at 12 years old? Where's he at? He's in the temple, listening to the rabbis, read from the scroll, asking questions of them, and he's giving answers of them at 12. At 12. Loving in and delighting in God's law. Why? Because he, he's the guy. He's the guy. Like he's, the, he's Deuteronomy 17. He's Psalm 1. He's the guy. So of course he's going to delight in the law. Of course he's going to delight in God's instruction. Of course he's the one who's going to be there and say, this is the way, walk in it. And the word of the Lord will go out from there, the instruction out from Zion. And so it's through this king, this guy, that the word of the Lord, the knowledge of God will, from Jerusalem, cover the earth. Cover the whole whole wide earth. This, so this is our Messiah, guys. He's a teacher. He, uh, he's lots of other things. We're going to look out more, but he's a teacher. He, 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 one who, who teaches, all right? And he's our teacher. Like we get to listen to and worship this guy, all right? He came, he showed up, he meditated on God's law. And then when he, you know, kind of starting his ministry, he goes up, sits on a mountain and he, he teaches, all right? He, and he teaches that I didn't come to abolish the instruction. I didn't come to abolish the Torah, but I came to make it known and, and carry it out and show you guys what it means to obey um, God's law. He taught us on the mountain to be meek. He taught us to um, be merciful, to, to pray for those who persecute us, taught us not to hate, taught us to tell the truth, taught us to love our enemies and, and leave vengeance to God. And he taught us to pray, right? This is just the Sermon on the Mount, okay? 
And so what I'm saying in giving these um, examples of, of Jesus coming and, and teaching is that I think Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 30 are, are realities of the age to come. He's teaching now. You know what I mean? Like Jesus didn't show up mute. He's, he's absolutely teaching right now. And so we are too. As disciples of Jesus, as worshipers of Israel's Messiah, we are to listen to him now through his word and through the spirit he's given us to remind us of all the things he taught. Right. Like Jesus shows up and for three years is just teaching, 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 teaching. And then right before he leaves, he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You know what he's going to do? Tell you everything I told you. Right. Like, like, so listen now. Don't put off listening to the teacher and into the age to come. He's teaching now. So listen now, believers. Oh, let's open our Bibles. Let's delight in God's law. And I understand it's hard. Like, I understand we're reading a really old book from a, a culture that's way different than ours and all kinds of things. But God has given us the Holy Spirit so we can understand it. And God has given us the church, given us each other to help us understand it. So let's be a people who listen to the teacher now. Listen to his word now and aim to obey it now. When he's saying this is the way, walk in it right now, let's listen to him now and obey it and be meek and, and, and be poor in spirit and be merciful and be pure in heart. And, and this is the way, walk in it. Okay? So for believers this morning, disciples of Jesus this morning, members of Christian Life Church, my hope is that you leave here, um, you know, just overflowing with happiness and, and cuteness from what's about to happen, okay? But also recommitting to say yes to the word of the Lord, to open up your Bible and believe it, okay? To read the promises and believe them and give your life to it. This is the way the teacher says, so walk in it. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, Right? You're not putting your trust and you're not listening to the teacher. Our, our hope for you today is that you would listen to his main message is that you should repent because the kingdom of heaven's at hand. The day of the Lord is coming. And if you will put your trust in Jesus cross for the forgiveness of your sins, you can inherit eternal life. Amen. You can live forever and he'll give you the Holy Spirit to help you do that. Right. So if you're not a believer today, you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus. Members of Christian Life Church, can you guys raise your hands again? You can talk to these people and they can tell you what it means to put your trust in Jesus, what it means to repent of your sins, what, it, what his resurrection means that you can actually inherit eternal life and be raised. So believers, listen to the teacher. Unbelievers, listen to the teacher. Okay. One more thing, really. It's so awesome. I, I was going to cut this part, but it's so awesome. I have to. We have to do it. So Isaiah 30, the Messiah is the teacher, right? You will see the teacher with your eyes. This is the way walking in. But in Isaiah 30, he's also the healer. Okay? Um, we, we sang, Hark the Herald, uh, risen with healing in his wings. Right? This is, this is the guy. So verse 25 of Isaiah 30 um, says, On the day of great slaughter when the towers fall. So we've got, right, Isaiah is just devastation and restoration over and over. On the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall, after that devastation, verse 26 on the day, the Lord bandages his people's injuries and heals the wounds that he inflicted. Robert, would you come help us, please? So Israel's story is, uh, with their God, right, this, this 
cosmic story therein is one of because of God's love and God's commitment to his firstborn. It's a story of, of scattering and gathering. And it, it's a story of, of exile and return. It's a story of wounding and healing. Like this is just this is the, the story. It is for Israel's sake. Okay, because of his commitment to them that God has allowed and, and sends their covenant disciplines. But the cycle of, of scattering and exiling and, and wounding, it won't go on forever. Okay, like it's not just this, it's not like a junior high relationship that break, a, you know, just like over. It's not that there, there is an end to the cycle when the king comes. Okay, so verse 26, on the day the king comes, the teacher on the mountain comes that the Lord bandages his people's injuries and he heals the wounds that he inflicted. So when things are at their worst for them, when when the night is darkest, when the wounds are at their most severe on the day the towers fall, Isaiah says, on that day, the king will come and heal. Okay, the king will come and heal. So just humor me here for a second. We have to do some Tolkien. Uh, in, in Return of the King, the, the, end of, the end of the trilogy, after the battle of, of the Pelennor Fields, this big, bad, violent um, uh, conflict, Gondor's in a bad way, okay? And Gondor's the good guys, right? They're in a bad way. Um, Faramir, who's uh, uh, criminally ruined in the movies, in the books, Faramir's, he's almost at Aragorn's level. Faramir, um, Eowyn, and, and Mary, little hobbit Mary. All of them have been wounded um, by, by Nazgul blades, which is bad, and, and the black shadow comes over them. And you don't recover from the black shadow, right? If you get stabbed by one of their blades, like, that's, that's the end for you. There's no recovery from this, and there's different healers uh, in the house, and, and even Gandalf is there. And they're doing their best. They're trying everything they know how to, to get these people healed, to, to bring them um, back to life, but they can't overcome the poison, right? It's just flowing through their veins. Things are bad for them. And at this point, as she's uh, weeping over Faramir, right? It, the, the, uh, the steward, they're weeping over him. One of the, the, the oldest healer in the house. She says, alas, if he should die, would that there were kings in Gondor as there were once upon a time, they say. For it is said in the old lore, that the hands of the king are the hands of the healer. And so the rightful king could ever be known. It just kind of, everyone's like, yeah, I wish the king was here. I wish the king would show up because he could, he could fix this. And then moments later, in the midst of their grief, in the midst of their wounding, Aragorn, Gondor's long-awaited king, walks in. And they find out that the hands of the king are the hands of the healer. And he begins to lay hands uh, on the different injured people. And, and they come to life. And, and uh, uh, Faramir, he wakes up and he says, Lord, Lord, you called. What, what's your bidding? You know, like, <laughs> you raised me from death. What? And, and um, this is what God will do for his people. This is what God will do. Uh, he, he will return. The king will come in and heal. And again, Jesus' ministry proves this, right? He goes about healing all who are afflicted, all who are oppressed by the devil. He, he heals them, right? And so we trust in him as our teacher. We're going to listen to him. And we're going to trust in him as our healer, okay? 
And, and don't listen to, to lying people who say that you know, it's just spiritual, emotional, whatever healing. No, Jesus physically heals, physically raises the dead. Like he does all of these things because the hands of the king are the hands of, of the healer. So I want to pray um, for us and uh, that we listen to him as teacher, that we receive him um, as healer. And then we'll, we'll come to the Lord's table. So, Father, we ask you this morning to take weak words from, from weak and frail um, men. Uh, and you, by the Spirit, breathe life into them and make them real. I ask that our ears would be open to the teacher who's, who's saying, this is the way, walk in it. And we'd be obedient. We'd hear and obey. We, we, we wouldn't get the rebuke from Jesus. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do, not do what I say? So I ask God for our congregation that we would hear the word of the Lord and be obedient to it. Uh, what Helen prayed this morning. And God, I ask that we would receive um, and believe Jesus as the healer. As the one who will, who will come, bandage their wounds, and, and heal the injuries he inflicted. So if there are people in need of physical healing today, as we, as we come to prayer uh, in a moment, as we lay hands on people, would you put yourself on display as healer and heal their bodies, um, heal their minds, God, heal their hearts, but, but be the healer today. In the name of Jesus, um, we said, amen. Amen.